0: Welcome to episode 20 of the Camerosity Podcast, the first ever open source film photography podcast. I am your host, Mike Ekman, and with me tonight from somewhere in the middle of Ohio, the number one used camera dealer in the greater Dayton metropolitan area, Mr. Paul Ribel. How many times a week do you visit the post office, Paul?
1: Uh, eight or nine, but I, I really prefer to my, think of myself as an international camera broker.
0: <laughs> That's even cooler sounding. And as always from Sydney, Australia, Mr. Two Weeks Notice himself, Theo Panagopoulos. Are you still technically unemployed, Theo?
2: Technically in between. Let's call it in between until I start my new job. But um, I'm, in the meantime, I'm trying to keep Paul busy with visits to the post office.
0: And finally, from Gainesville, Florida, everyone's favorite barista, Mr. Anthony Rue. Do you have any travel plans to Columbia soon, Anthony?
3: I wish. I think that my next uh, venture is going to be all the way to Atlanta, Georgia.
0: Ooh, they have good coffee there.
3: Yeah, not quite Bogota.
0: Wow, 20 episodes. I can't believe we've done so many. Not too bad for a podcast that started off on a whim with a one-hour notice before the first episode. The last couple of episodes, we've jumped into our discussion so quickly we didn't reserve any time for some of the great feedback we've gotten recently. The guys and I want to thank everyone for the kind words and incredible support uh James Thorpe sent us a really cool uh piece of feedback. He's also a vintage typewriter collector and he had some really neat old mechanical typewriters that he had uh professionally restored. So he typed up a letter to us on one of his old typewriters and then scanned it in and sent it to us so he was real appreciative of Jess's episode Nineteen saying that it's really great to hear young people taking up the hobby of not only shooting cameras but also repairing them uh and he saw parallels between like typewriter collectors and um cameras, you know for a lot of the same reasons you know we appreciate the mechanicalness of of old cameras, the reliability you know with regular service you know an old typewriter can last. A very, very long time, just like a camera can, you know, still doing the same thing that it always has before. All right, we already have a bunch of people in the waiting room, so I'm just going to start letting people in one at a time. Okay, we got a whole bunch of people in the, in the show tonight. I'm looking around the room, I see some familiar faces. Mike Kaplan, how you doing there?
2: Okay, Mike, how are you? How's everybody?
0: Great. Uh, I see Robert Rodoloni. Hey, Robert. Hi, Robert. How you doing, Mike? All right. Du- Dwight Anderson's back. Dwight, how you doing?
3: Hi,
4: I'm doing
0: well. I had uh, Dwight was on the show a couple weeks ago, and I pointed him out as... The guy who loaned me the Great Wall DF3 that I recently reviewed. But I forgot to mention that Dwight has a Etsy store that he's had for quite a while. And what's, what's the name of your Etsy store, Dwight?
4: Well, it's a word nobody knows. It's called Camerosity.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Completely unrelated, right?
4: Yes. Yeah. It's just a word I found. Yeah. So I thought it was sort of cool to name my Etsy store that.
0: Yeah. And you've had that store for a couple of years, right?
4: Yeah, I have for a couple of years. I haven't, uh, I've sold a few cameras, but I'm sort of getting more into it and found out that the more cameras you list, the more viewings you get. So if you drop below about a dozen cameras, you you can watch your viewing go right down. So it's sort of a struggle to keep taking pictures.
0: (laughs) Well, if Paul ever switches over to Etsy, he's not going to have that problem. Actually, no.
1: I know. I have an Etsy store also.
0: Oh, really? Really?
1: Yeah. It's it, I. It's called Cameras and Pictures, one word. Ah. And it's it's primarily for um, the primary market is interior decorators who buy you know old twenty nine dollar cameras uh, to use for displays in people's homes or or uh, things like that.
3: Paul, are you secretly making lamps out of Argus cameras?
1: I would not do that. <laughs> I will I will admit though to to uh uh sacrificing some Graphlight 3 strobe handles for lightsabers
0: lightsabers oh may the force be with you yeah when i started my site it wasn't originally supposed to be about cameras that's why my you know it's just my name uh and in like 2017 i had this idea of rebranding and i really liked the name camerosity because of the connection with kodak and it just sounds like camera so I attempted to register Camerosity.com, the domain name, but it's been taken. And I kept trying to dig into who owned it because it's it's like parked, so no one's actively using it, but it's registered to somebody. And it took me like two years, but I finally found the name of the guy who owns it. It's some professor at like University of California, Berkeley. And I I reached out to the guy and amazingly, he actually responded. I introduced who I was. I said, I really like that name. You've had it for quite a while. I think the guy registered it in like 2011 and has never done anything with it. And uh, when I when I asked him if he would ever be willing to, to part with it, he goes, well, it's for sale, but you wouldn't be able to afford my price. And I was, I was like, What? like the audacity of this guy and he was actually right you know what he thought it was worth i'm like that's crazy you know so we'll have a camerosity etsy store we'll have a camerosity podcast but we're never going to have the camerosity domain name unless unless somehow that guy becomes a listener of this show and decides to give it to us but i see um, john gilchrist welcome back john was on the show last uh, time well, i guess i want to say last week two it week- was actually two weeks ago yeah yeah two weeks ago uh we have sherry christensen hello hey sherry how you doing
5: good i finally made it in here
0: <laughs> yeah, Sherry is a fellow podcaster. We've we've chatted before and sent the invite to her, but uh, do you want to introduce yourself?
5: Hi, I'm Sherry Christensen, and I have the Embrace the Grain Photography podcast.
0: What's your typical topics on that one?
5: Basically, we'll cover it all. We, we do film, digital, everything, but it's mostly for people who are hobbyists, not professionals.
2: Cool. And I have to shoot in cold weather at the moment, from what I've seen.
5: Yeah, it's kind of cold today, and I just got the extreme cold warning on my watch here tonight, oh, no. so I'm going, ah, damn,
0: <laughs> it continues. All right, well, welcome to the show. Uh, Larry Effler, how are you doing, Larry?
6: I'm doing well. You?
0: Yeah, we're all pretty good here.
6: And I want you to know I'm an Embrace the Grain fanboy. <laughs> oh,
0: all right. Oh, nice. <laughs> Hi, Larry. <laughs> I see somebody named Christopher. I don't recognize the name or the face. Hey, Christopher.
6: Hey, how are you
7: doing?
0: Hi. Do you want to introduce yourself?
7: Sure. I'm Chris Paulin. I uh, live in Manchester, Connecticut. Been shooting film since uh, 1987 or so. My dad worked for a company that uh, developed substrates for film and had a couple of uh, uh, patents on film products, one which sold to Polaroid and another to Kodak. So I was really thrilled about the... uh, number eight podcast. Yeah, it's Robert Shanebrook. That's me, and I started doing, um, actually started taking film photography classes in 2005 just to learn the craft uh, in the darkroom and uh, became an alternative process guy.
0: All right, that's cool. Yeah, we've talked about that a little on the show. Uh, we had two more people jump in, Cindy. Um, I'm sorry, Styler? Steeler? Yes, that's right. How are you doing, Cindy? Good, how are you? You know Anthony, right?
8: Yes, I'm friends. I've been friends with Anthony for quite a while. I'm sorry. <laughs> Just <kidding>.
0: <laughs> <laughs> And finally, Nick. That's all I know. Nick, how you doing, Nick? Hi. I, uh, oh, Nick Marshall. Sorry, I should write that on there. Uh, good, good. Yeah, I've been listening since um,
1: it was the, cocaine and waffles. I think.
0: <laughs> yeah, we did two I'm of those. I'm sorry. <laughs> That was the spontaneity of it that we just decided. Uh, it was Johnny Sisson and I. Uh, uh-huh. I wasn't. I wasn't joking when I said we had one hour notice. It was just one night. We were just sitting in front of the computer saying, "Hey, let's do a podcast." Okay, how are we going to do it? Who's going to be on it? I said we'll just send out a link and whoever joins joins. So I decided once we were going to actually do it, take it a little more seriously, to come up with a less offensive sounding name, but those are <laughs> two fun episodes. So uh, we don't have any like real special guests. Um, looks like we have a nice selection of people, different areas of knowledge.
3: I, I wanna start by by sort of directing things to Cindy, cause I asked her to come on here for a reason. And that is, um, you know, Cindy's an artist who does incredible work with cyanotype and, and, and wet plate photography and works with fabrics and, and alternative print processes. And it's been fun that the both of us have sort of gotten back into cameras at more or less the same time. And like we were just up in the Okifunoki Swamp, uh, I was shooting my medalist and she was shooting a uh, Soviet Sputnik 120 3D camera, which is just an incredible beast. But uh, one of the reasons I wanted to to invite her on here is to hit a topic that we we haven't talked about yet on Camerosity, and that's uh, Darkroom. Uh, Cindy came up with this great idea of developing a or creating a uh, a community dark room in Gainesville, which is something that you know we've got two major uh, schools here, University of Florida and Santa Fe College, and no access to a uh, photo darkroom uh, in the town. And so Cindy has taken it upon herself to start a uh, what will be a nonprofit um, and uh, found a space for us. And now we are in the process of. Just figuring out how do you create <laughs> a, uh, a community darkroom? And I know that we've got people here that have all levels of experience. And so I'm I'm calling on the, the wisdom of the panel here uh, to give us some feedback on uh, you know what are the pitfalls, what should we be looking out for, and uh, just any advice that you have on on building uh, a community darkroom.
0: I think probably the first step is getting people interested into wanting to develop their own film. I mean, I, if, if I were to just guess... Uh, You have people who are interested in photography, probably digital, you know, I'm thinking of young people. Um, They probably see film as, okay, that's kind of a different way of doing things. And they sort of have to get over the hurdle of wanting to shoot without a little LCD screen. You know, you only get 24 exposures or 12 or something. But then once you get them hooked on these wonderful old cameras and the look of film photography, uh, wanting to develop the film themselves, I think is like the next logical step. I, I mean, I know it was for me. Uh, I started reshooting film in 2014, and it took me probably two and a half years before I even thought I wanted to try developing myself. Uh, Financially, it it definitely makes sense to do it yourself too. But I guess that might be the first question is like, what do you say or how do you get interested people who are just new to film into wanting to develop themselves?
1: Well, my feeling about it is if, if you build it, they will come. Yeah, you are going. To, you're going to. There are people out there right now who would who would love to
6: sign up for your dark room. Yeah. they just don't have the opportunity. I just remember when I was a university student, having having a dark room that somebody else made sure the chemicals were fresh and somebody else uh, kept the uh, kept the paper stocked and everything was very very nice for me. <laughs> I printed a lot more. When I not, I have to. If I have to get the dark room out now, I mean, I, I probably don't print five times a year.
1: I went to college at a small college here in Yellow, in Yellow Springs, Ohio, called Antioch. And they had the first, uh, the first dark room was built in the community for the community in 1965. Uh, and I came in in 1967. And uh, there, was, there were probably maybe 30 or 40 people who used that dark room. There were eight enlargers, uh, a very small film development room and a, a dry area for with a PECO print dryer and, uh, and a finishing room where you could uh, do some dry mounting if you needed to. Um, but over the years I've built probably maybe 10 or 12 dark rooms. Uh, and the, the big thing about a dark room that a community uses is that you need to have strong management because somebody is always gonna dump Fixer in the developer uh, somebody is always going to trail fixer into the, to, to the uh, washroom. Uh, there, there are always going to be problems that you have to deal with. And if you have someone who, who pays attention to it on a daily basis, it makes it a lot easier to do. But from a nuts and bolts standpoint, I think you're going to find that you're, you're going to get a lot of donations because right now people are, are aging out of the dark rooms in their homes uh, and I, I get calls from people mm, six or seven times a month asking me, what do I do with my old and larger? Or what do I do with all these stainless steel tanks and reels? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's really not a good answer to them. I mean, I, I just say, I hate to tell you this, but really all you can do is just take it to the curb. Just take it to recycling. Uh, I donate as many as I can, and there's still more than, than I can handle.
8: How far away are you?
1: <laughs> I'm in Southwestern Ohio, which is really a problem. Uh, I, I, you know, I'm 1500
8: miles from you probably. Yeah. Road trip. Road trip. Yeah, because I'm teaching I'm teaching at John C. Campbell later on in the year, which puts me in North Carolina closer. Well, Paul,
6: on, on your road trip, swing by East Tennessee, I've got a couple for her too. Yeah.
8: Okay. I'm, I'm actually going to Tennessee because a friend of mine is uh, – Um, has some uh graphlex cameras he's giving me to for wet plate to use for wet plate so i i definitely want to have um both uh you know a film developing but also my my love is really um alternate processes i have a very hybrid practice between you know shooting film scanning it and then maybe making digital negatives or um you know my practice is uh definitely more of a hybrid practice. I mean, I print a lot on textiles. So, but, um, yeah, if I, I'm, I'm really looking to connect to find equipment because the more money I can save there, I've already got big bills with plumbing and, uh, waste disposal and ventilation. Um, luckily I found, a, an amazing space with the perfect room for a dark room and, uh, I feel a little crazy doing this, but I'm I'm really excited about it at the same time, just to have a place to teach locally instead of having to travel. I travel to teach. I spend six months of the year traveling because we just don't have facilities here for me to teach or really to do the work I want to do. <laughs> so, know, I'm hoping to create that. And the response that I've gotten so far has been, it's actually pretty overwhelming. So I, I think that if I can get it up and running, I, I really think that it could work. And I've got some great support from Anthony, who's amazing. And a friend of mine just retired. um, Well, about 10 years ago, he taught uh, photo for 30 years um, at the community college over here. So he's going to help with some of my introductory courses and that kind of thing.
1: Well, I'm sure we all know a lot of retired or or still working photo educators. Mm -hmm. And they they would be a great source to help you, uh, you know, find equipment and that sort of thing. And, and I, I, I'm sure you don't need any help in designing the darkroom.
0: Right, you know, right. That was
1: stocking it and staffing it.
0: So what's the target number of enlargers and, and like, what do you need? Well, my goal
8: is, I would say I could probably have six set up comfortably with room. I have a feeling starting out, the majority of people are going to be doing just black and white.
3: And I mentioned that it will also be pretty much focused on alternative processes too, because Cindy's been teaching cyanotype all over the world. And, you know, my background was in uh, like Van Dyke and platinum printing and I've, I've gotten away from that. And we really, I mean, for me, the reason that I got excited about this is the <laughs> chance to get back into the things that I haven't been able to do at home. Cause I have a crazy weird Florida house that has no room that has the ability to be a dark room even though i've got all my my gear here um but i really have no place to do like large format printing or or plate you know any of that (laughs) and so i mean i'm just as much as black and white i'm excited about having a community resource where we can really become a center because like i said you know cindy's going around the world teaching this stuff you know and and we'll be able to we'll attract people to come here to work with her and um and we've got people that. Offer to donate presses, so there's possibility of doing like photolithography or photo intaglio, and to um, you know these these are things that that are less common and and difficult to do just on your own. It's not like I just you know I can teach somebody how to do caffeineol or teach somebody how to do black and white developing, uh, and it's just you know it's, it's easy because those chemicals and the processes it's it's out there. Uh, but these other things, uh, you know, because like, I, I mean, I come from a time when I was doing inter-negatives on codolith on like, you know, 30 foot rolls of codoliths where I could do a five foot print um, and working with digital negatives, uh, you know, coming up with these new processes and these new, new hybrids, you know, that to me is, is as exciting as, as, uh, as the, the idea of just having like a black and white darkroom.
2: Is is there going to be a um, gallery attached to it as well? Because uh, there, we we had something similar here in Sydney called the Australian Centre of Photography, a non profit and you know communal dark room, both color and black and white. But what and they used to run very good courses actually, which were fantastic. And They used to fund that a lot, but they also had a gallery which would help fund the dark room as well.
8: We will eventually have one. What I'm planning on doing now, like I've already got a couple of like two art shows planned. Um, the space actually can work. I'm making all of my furniture. Basically what I have is a big, huge open area, high ceilings, 500 square foot loft and a dark room, plus three classrooms, two bathrooms and a kitchen. And there's very few windows in the whole building. And I'm planning on building flats that just fit into those. So the furniture can be removed, like wheeled into the back and a, a gallery show can take place. And that's how it has to be for now but there will be in the next year to a year and a half the opportunity for me to have the front part of the building which will add an additional probably thousand square feet and then I'll be able to have a more formal gallery.
7: Uh, I I have a question I was wondering are you going to do this uh subscription pay as you go what uh I know the classes obviously and people probably pay for those obviously right but uh are you going to have like subscriptions to use the dark room?
8: I'm going to, ha- I'm going to do kind of both. I'm going to have like, um, like membership, like monthly membership that people can come in, they can use the chemistry, they can develop their film and so on and so forth. And then also have a drop in, you know, because for some people if you're only shooting a roll a month or two rolls a month, you're probably not going to want access. But I think like I'm planning to also include with that, like the, um, the uh, space to do alternative process for people who want to work. I I have so many people hounding me for classes in the area, because I do like I print very large format cyanotypes on fabric. There's and cyanotype is so flexible, and can be added. You can use other processes with it. So I wanted to also have like the membership subscription would not just be for just developing film and printing, but also for access to. To um, alternative process, you know, with some limitations. Like obviously, if it's wet plate, you need to supply your own chemistry. The chemistry is expensive. You can use the camera, but maybe you need to provide your own wet plate or pay for that chemistry.
1: I think you're going to find you're, you're going to have a you're going to have a very good support group from uh, from a lot of us. So feel free to to call on us, and we know how to reach you via Anthony. I follow you on Instagram now.
8: Oh, awesome. But
1: so I, we'll uh, we'll help you as much as we possibly can.
0: Something that I've talked to other people who are somewhat new to this hobby too. You know, s- s- sort of on the same line as a community dark room, but you know, home home dark room stuff too. Um, a lot of people, and, and I, I say this because I was one of these people, like I thought I couldn't do it. It just seemed too complicated. I didn't have the patience. I, I don't, I have two kids at home. I don't have a dedicated space. I thought it's just not something I could do. But if, if for anybody who's who's new or even moderately new or even been shooting film for a while and just doesn't think they have the time to do it, I really encourage you to just try developing at home. I mean, there is an initial, uh, you know, getting the tanks and getting the equipment. But what, what I think a lot of people who are very new to this don't understand is you don't actually need a dark room to develop film. Right. All you exactly. need is a, a bathroom or I started littering my basement and I just waited till it was nighttime and turned the lights off. And you, there's only one step. It's getting the film into the tank. And once yeah. it's in the tank, you turn the lights on and the rest of the developing is, um, is done with the lights on. And it's so easy. It's super rewarding. Uh, it saves a ton of money. Yeah, you can still get, and prices have gone up quite a bit. But you can get a 100 foot roll of Kodak Team 100, usually for about 80 to 90 bucks on eBay, and you know that's good for like 30 rolls of film. Mm-hmm. And you you buy the chemicals, even with the tanks, you probably have an initial if you bought everything new probably a 200 dollar investment if you can get stuff used you could save money that way too but at the at the prices of you know commercial rolls single rolls of film online you're going to make your money back on a single bulk roll and then yeah. as you do more it's just worth it and and one other kind of like i don't want to say urban legend but thing that i see repeated a lot that i don't always agree with is in regards to color a lot of people say oh only do black and white colors too hard and while color is a lot more temperamental on temperatures, that is true. Uh, one advantage that I think people overlook with color, especially with C41, um, is there's only one way to do it. If you get a C41 kit, you can get ones from the Film Photography Project. Uh, there's a few other places that sell them. Uh, I like the unicolor kits. Um it does not matter what speed film it is. It does not matter what brand it is. It does not matter if it's fresh or expired. You follow the exact same steps every single time. You can mix and match whatever you want. It's always the same timings. Whereas with Black and White, you have like dozens of developers. You have <laughs> yeah. Calfanol, D76. You have different variations of HD 110. There's stand development. There's cold stand development. There's mixtures. There's this massive dev blog that I actually think... That because I started with black and white with HC one ten and somebody gave me very specific instructions on what to do and I did it and it worked fine and I was like oh this is easy but then the more I learned about black and white the more confusing it actually gets and <laughs> I think sometimes you start to get like like you'll hear somebody say oh I only use caffeinol or I only use you know rodinol and and then I only use HC one ten and I go well am I missing something and then you start to doubt yourself and it it starts to get in your head all these different variables with black and white. Uh, whereas with C41, it, it's the exact same thing over yeah. and over again, and that's that's I think one one plus to color is yes, you, you do need to be a little bit better with your temps. With with most black and white, just tepid tap water is usually enough for most most people. Uh, color, you know, you just get a nice thermometer. Some people use a sous vide. I don't know how to pronounce it. That's,
8: I have I, one. I, that's I, what I use. And, <laughs> and, 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 and there's
0: nothing. There's nothing wrong with that. I think that's probably overkill for the beginner. You know, just go on Amazon and get one of those like stick meat thermometers. And as long as you're close, give or take a couple degrees, you're, you're still going to get a good image. Get the sous vide right away. <laughs> I have I have yeah, sous vide. <laughs> I have I, the I got my brother uh, the Sin still sous
1: vide for Christmas. I bought the last one in Toronto. <laughs> I was laughing to these guys uh, a few days ago when I, I was teaching in in. Uh, San Diego area and I the first time that I taught uh, a class on how to load stainless steel with 120 one of my students loaded the paper on the reel when we came out there was just (laughs) nothing but mush in the bottom of the tank and I went into the loading room and her film was in the trash can so I I gave her I gave her an A for effort because I (laughs) there's no way I could have got that paper loaded on the reel
2: (laughs) Does anyone here use the the film box um the lab the, the kick oh. lab box sorry yes the the one that was in the Kickstarter? because i i actually um put money to that and got it and then to be honest i've never used it I, I just find the convenience i've got a lab that's about three minutes away from me so <laughs> the convenience was dropping it in and picking it up a few days later just, uh, hasn't hasn't enticed me yet.
0: That uh, Kickstarter box, how does it compare, or is it at all like the Agfa used to have a box called the, the Roden X. is that the same thing, or is it a different concept?
2: It's a it's, similar it's concept, I think. Yeah, it's uh, it it slices the film off for you. Um, it's got like a razor built in and slices the film off. And okay. for for one twenty, it'll actually split away the the um, the backing paper as well. And okay. instead of um, doing the usual um, shaking of the the um the tank you you're, you know you're, you're basically spinning your handle and um i went all out and even got the thermometer top for it um so you can actually monitor the water and um it's never made it out of the box
6: from the video it looks a lot like the old polaroid 35 millimeter film processor if any of you guys are old enough to remember those well doesn't it require the use of the mono bath
2: no you can you can do either that that was my my first aim was to use the monobath to, to to start it off. But uh, yeah, as I said, I haven't quite got around to it.
0: Well, we're gonna need you to do it. And <laughs> tell us about it. <laughs> now that you mention it, you have homework to do.
3: <laughs> well, Sherry, are you doing one ten at home now?
5: I have one ten in my camera loaded at the moment, and I have one ten reels that fit in my Patterson tank, but haven't attempted it yet. <laughs> but it's in the works
3: are they the 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 sort of like the open-sided steel reels for the 110 or the
5: no they look like a really miniature um, Patterson reel
3: oh that's very cool
0: oh wow I have the open-ended stainless ones and those are pretty easy
5: yeah they look they're probably for 16 millimeter film but yeah. the 110 fits on it and yeah. they fit I can in the um, small Patterson tank two of those reels fit in there just perfectly.
0: Yeah. Yeah, one ten is sixteen millimeter. Kodak chose that exact size because uh when they were releasing they called it Pocket Instamatic, they knew that there was already machines to do sixteen millimeter motion picture film and they didn't wanna have to make people get new machines, so they, they just chose a size that was uh people were already so, familiar with working yeah. with.
5: Well, see, once I get, I just discovered, though, on the box, it said 36 exposures, and I went, crap, this could take me a while.
0: <laughs> I have uh, a guy I work with who's three D, who does 3D printing, and he's printing me um, a mold for Patterson reels that can do APS film for that, that, that uh, rabbit hole that John Gilchrist <laughs> has continuously been sending me down. So um, I'm convinced that I'm going to get... Really nice images out of some Advantix film coming up here soon.
5: Yeah, I've got some of that too that I need to do. So (laughs) it's shot, it's sitting there, and I just need to get her done.
0: Well, it doesn't work on any other reel because APS was 24 millimeters wide. So if it works for me, do you have the reels?
5: I have a um, Gutterman customized reel for APS.
0: Okay, all right.
5: (laughs) I do. It's just, um, I'm being lazy. One thing I would say for the beginner, the first thing you don't do when you're trying black and white is don't open the darkroom cookbook. What's that? It's a book and it's got, it's like the massive dev chart only in print form. It's called the darkroom cookbook. Okay. And it's all these recipes and such on how to develop different films. Well, if it's your First time doing any, you won't be able to read it, and it's very confusing. And you just kind of go, "Huh?"
1: It has formulas and all kinds of stuff. the 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 most important thing to me when I when somebody says they want to start a dark room, the most important thing that I tell them is only have either have one thermometer or five. (laughs) Don't have two because you'll never know what the real temperature is. There's an old saying: a man
6: with a man with one watch knows what time it is. A man with two is never quite sure. For sure. (laughs) And with yeah. thermometers, even
1: with adjustable thermometers, the, the old standard of the industry was the Weston's dial thermometers and the, the mercury thermometers and the alcohol thermometers. And you never knew exactly what the temperature really was. So, uh, and, and somebody earlier just said, you know, use one of the Amazon meat thermometers, which I happen to have. That's just a wonderful idea. <laughs> I had never even thought of it.
4: I've done that to compare my thermometers. I've got two different ones from old kits that we had when my kids were taking it in high school. The Kodak one and the one from an old Sears develop at home kit are like six degrees different. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing is I use the meat thermometer type one and it's electronic, so who knows what's accurate. But the Sears one is only two degrees off of that. The Kodak is four degrees off the electronic one. Um, but like you say, I, you pick one thermometer and you use it. And you adjust accordingly.
9: Yeah.
4: And you know, it's a lot of times all those development charts and all those things, people have their own special mixes. They want to use. I found the easiest thing to do is, is to go on the internet and search for the Kodak data sheets.
10: Yeah.
4: And they will That's tell cool. you, they will, you know, they will tell you what temperature to use it with D76, HC 110, etc. And, um, You know, it's, you just follow it and you'll get pretty decent negatives. And after you figure it out, then you can go searching for the perfect mixture.
0: Yeah. I like capanol a lot. (laughs) See, I've only ever done HC-110 ever. That's it. I use it for everything. It works fine on everything I've ever done. Uh, Maybe there's a, a different combination of some crazy Agfa developer for Agfa Film that might give me tighter grain structure, but I've been pretty happy with HC-110. So uh, I, that's not to say that there aren't other good options too. But for the beginner, seriously, get a cheap Amazon thermometer. Make sure <laughs> it says that it's waterproof though. That, that'd be the one upgrade I would give on it because it's going to get wet. Uh, try to find some used tanks anywhere you can, whether it's a Patterson, Yankee. There's yeah, some I've other got, ones.
8: I've got tons of tanks. Yeah. I, pick them up. Like- I, have a, I have my own personal ones that I use. And then whenever I see them out at thrift stores or flea markets, I pick them up.
0: People who have been developing a long time usually swear by the stainless tanks, Uh, but for me, when I was first learning, I found I really struggled loading film under the stainless reels, and I found the Patterson ones to be easier. Mm -hmm. Um, Pattersons do jam, though, sometimes, so they're not perfect either, but for the beginner, I think the Patterson, because it's a twist, um, Mm -hmm. those are better for beginners until you kind of get, you know, decide if this is what you want to do. You know, HC-110, Rodinol, D-76, those are all classic developers that have been around for a long time for good reason. HC-110 is good, too, if you do a lot of expired film, because it has a chemical in it that helps reduce some fogging. That will help, you know, make nicer images on older films that some other ones can't. But, you know, just have fun. Don't overthink it. Because if you go out and read these cookbooks or the, the dev charts and you've never done it before, I guarantee you that will turn people off because it, it it almost did for me. And I'm I'm glad somebody just said, Mike, here, just do it this way and you'll get good images. And I did. Yeah. So that that got yeah. me started. That's
8: that's kind of really our plan because we actually yeah. I just had a meeting with Ray, the, the guy who's going to be teaching the introduction classes. And we finalized our decision on what chemical uh, chemistry we were going to start with and and what we wanted to do now it's just a matter of throwing it all together
3: well hey you know we have we've made it almost an hour without talking about cameras and since jess is here uh after our discussion in the last episode uh i had to go out and find myself a knickermat ft3 uh <laughs> on jess's recommendation because i wanted a tank that you know i wanted a camera because we uh we 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 you know, I also, through my business, we, we I teach a Kaffenahl workshop. I actually was able to teach one with Cindy a while ago. Yeah. And uh, and I always try to keep loaner cameras around the shop so that people can, you know, before they take the class, go out and shoot their own film. And so I, I, I splurged a whole $80 on a, a very nice uh, FT3. Uh, of course, I had to have a lens, even though I've got a few Nikon lenses. Uh, so I hit Paul up for a, a, a 105 F2.5. Because I mean, I hear that's like the cool uh, medium telephoto to get for the Nikon, uh, and so I've been shooting that all week long. It is a tank, but my God, what a cool, simple, just working man's camera! I mean, it really is.
0: What did you think of the shutter speed ring? Did, did it bother you, or
3: um, I actually thought that it was better designed than the OM1 because it has that tab on the end, Yeah. Uh, you know, and the fact that it has the shutter speed, at least The FT3 has the shutter speeds in the bottom of the viewfinder they all do so uh you know i thought i I, having shot quite a bit with the olympus i had no problem adjusting to it at all
0: i never have either i just know that that is something people sometimes complain about
3: yeah but i don't think it's it's a big deal it's just it's it's it kind of reminds me of like a uh like an old uh like plymouth duster you know it's like one of these like big block cars with with no electronics and just you know there's the engine there's the wheels. There's the accelerator. Grab it and go.
0: Well, I, I had uh, since Sherry's on here. Sherry, about a month or so ago, you asked in one of the chats about the set, right? Wasn't that you? I did,
5: yes. And, I still I, haven't I, shot mine.
0: As I recall, I, I think I kind of shit on it a little bit. Uh, you then- you weren't, you weren't a fan. <laughs> well, but but then I made the mistake of looking at them, <laughs> so I ended up finding. Um, I think it's exactly like yours. I have my virtual background on though, but I, I did think get, so. I It's yep. it's got the yeah. little hump on the top. It's got the range finder and the interchangeable M thirty nine mount. So uh, I would like to uh, rescind my shitting of the pack Sats because <laughs> if now some of them are kind of cheap. The original ones they look like range finders, but it was actually just an extinction meter in there. Um, an extinction meter is like a, a primitive exposure meter, uh, but the later ones have a coupled rangefinder. Uh, no, I'm sorry, it's uncoupled. So you look through the rangefinder, you get your distance by turning a knob that's on the top plate, and then when the when the uh, images line up like a normal rangefinder would, it, you then have to transfer what it says to the lens. So it's so it's a bit slow, but if you like oddball cameras with weird features, um, not intuitive like the mats but I, I love the way it looks. It, it's actually very compact. So I think you'll enjoy yours. I haven't shot mine yet either, but maybe we'll share I think results.
5: they're um nicely uh made. They seem like they're well made.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, Braun made it. Braun actually did make pretty decent cameras. Um I have a couple other Braun cameras that that, that seemed to be one of those kind of like mid-tier German makers that kind of never went anywhere, but uh yeah. their, their cameras are fairly decent.
2: Is it the same company that makes the the shavers and things? I believe so, guys? yeah.
0: Yeah. Wow. Whether I don't know if it's exactly the same company, but it's the same corporate lineage.
5: I picked up a box of stuff and it had that in it and it had a, a beauty flex in it. I never heard of any of these. And there was an Ecoflex in there.
0: That's his ice.
5: Yeah, it is. And it needed a new mirror in it. And that was really easy to change. But uh, yeah, once I got it all cleaned up. Everything seems to be working properly, but I haven't shot them yet.
1: I was thinking about Robert a couple days ago. I just picked up a, uh, a pair of FTNs with F36 motors. Oh, good. Yeah, and they even had the motor connector. Okay. You know, which is the number one thing that everyone loses and nobody can find. A little,
11: little tiny piece about that uh, big.
1: I had one on my last store. I had uh, a plastic baggie with like a dozen of those things in it my lap desk drawer and when I left the store for the last time I forgot it oh but oh. uh yeah so I got two uh, FTNs with an F th- with F36s also with external battery packs okay. but the big deal I wanted was a 200 to 600 F9.5 <laughs> auto network
11: type one or type two uh
1: it's I think it's type two because it says auto on it
11: okay well the type ones are about that long and the type uh-huh. twos are about that long <laughs> <laughs>
1: and, and i got i'm waiting to see if it comes in the wooden case i think the yes wooden case, they wooden come case.
11: in a wooden case
1: yeah, yeah. it's yeah. in the original box and see i haven't seen the lens all i've seen is the box <laughs> <So>. <laughs>
11: <laughs> well you know that was a very expensive lens in its day okay yeah. and uh it was it was slow and it was hard to use their 85 to 250 was much more popular because it was more usable but that that two hundred that thing is, is huge. It's like three
1: feet long almost. You know, uh-huh. the guy's got to ship it to me from Denver, and I'm really look. I'm going to be interested <laughs> to see exactly how he how he ships this thing.
0: Did he have to send it UPS freight? It, it's so it
1: probably will have to go UPS.
0: <laughs>
11: I have a friend in Holland that I he he buys stuff off. I have two of them in Holland. They buy stuff off eBay. And they have the people ship it to me because most people don't want to ship overseas; they're afraid of customs or something. So I they, they ship it here, and I let it collect for a while. Then I put it in boxes and ship it to them. Last week, he has a guy ship an 800 millimeter Canon lens. The thing comes in a box that is 52 inches long <laughs> and it weighed about 60 pounds. He so said, "What am I going to do with this thing?" So I, I we set it up. I had FedEx. FedEx actually came and picked it up because there was no way I could get that in my car. You know, <laughs> but, you know, and he sent me some other big things over time, but they keep sending me these things because people on eBay are afraid to ship overseas. Yeah, A lot of people, they won't do it. They, they refuse. They won't do it.
0: Vlad uh, shared something funny online. He got a, a package of cameras from Russia and no joke, he's like, he showed a picture of how they were shipped. Individual, like, red cellophane wrapped cameras with, like, duct tape wrapped around these little <laughs> pouches. It, it, it literally looked like like a, a, a cocaine bust or something like that. So, so imagine getting a huge box full of these individually wrapped cameras and red cellophane with duct tape around them, all neatly packaged, all coming from Russia, going through U.S. Customs right now. So mm. somehow he got it, though. That, that probably threw up quite a few red flags.
11: Well, you know, customs can be kind of funny. I don't know. Uh, I went to ship a package uh, by Priority Express, or a priori, priority package from the U.S. to Australia, and they turned me down. They wouldn't take it. Right, You're not shipping to Australia at that time. No package. No, still
0: can't. You still can't.
1: Still can't. No. The yeah. only. The only. USPS will only accept uh, Priority Mail Express. Yeah. to Australia.
11: With the regular Priority box, I went and I had it all ready to go with the customs form and everything. Yeah. She goes, "I'm sorry, Bob, but we don't ship to Australia right now. They're on our blacklist." So
1: I, I wanted to send something to Theo. Uh, okay. and, and I couldn't do it. So yeah. I put it on eBay for a dollar and made it. So I would ship it to Australia. So <laughs> Theo, because they use DHL. Yeah. eBay uses DHL. So yeah. Theo bought this thing for a buck and I it was probably $40 shipping. And yeah. it was still cheaper than it would have been to ship it priority mail.
2: You know, depending on what you're shipping priority can be cheaper. Yeah. It was actually quite funny because, um, I, I share the eBay account with my wife. In fact, it's actually in her name. So technically she's buying me all the cameras, And um, the the interesting part was she comes up to me, she goes, you bought something for a dollar, but it's 60 Australian dollars to ship it. What the hell are you doing?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Now, if you do that, though, aren't you worried? Somebody might like, "Ooh, a dollar. And then they they buy it or.
1: We we set it up. So, no, I had it. I was going to do it as a make me an offer. I was going to price it way, you know, a hundred dollars for these little deadly piece of film holder. And then I thought, no, because Theo's online and I'm online at the same time. So I just listed it for a buck and, and so then said, Theater, buy it now because uh, somebody else might see it. That makes sense. So, international
2: business. Anthony, I know you're dying to talk about this, but sub minis, you've been shooting a non-Minox Minox. Yeah,
3: this is another one that I found through Paul when I bought the lens. Uh, you know, it's just like kind of hard to uh, get anything from Paul and not look at the other things that he has in his, his shop. Uh, he has a Yashica... Um, Adirond, uh, which, as far as I know, is the only non-Minox camera that uses the Minox cassette. I think that's true. Yeah, I think that's right. And it's kind of interesting because, like, you know, I've got five of the submini Minoxes, um, so I'm really comfortable with shooting with them. And they're, you know, they're designed as spy cameras. You know, they're designed so that you control the sh- the uh, focus. You know, so you can like set it at eight inches or ten inches, depending on the bumps on the chain that you're using to measure your shot and you can set the shutter speed. Uh, and you know, it really feels like it's designed for, for macro work and this, uh, Yashica, um, in spite of the fact that it's a sub mini really feels more like a, uh, like a tourist camera. It's a very stylish camera. You know, it looks very 1950s, 1960s, you know, it looks like the dashboard of like a, uh, you know, like a, a Buick, um, and the, uh, it's, it's also, um, you, it's got a, uh, a, a light meter on it and it's, you know, sort of like a match where you, you rotate the little dial and then it sets, it's a, uh, um, is it? what is it? It's a fixed lens. It's a fixed, it does aperture and does shutter speed, uh, priority. Um, and so you're just sort of guessing on distance. You can't adjust the focus at all. Um. And so you're hopefully setting it with a, you know, a small enough aperture that you're getting a good depth of field.
1: Tell us about the shutter speed, shutter sound when you fire it.
3: Oh, it's great. This is a camera that I guess it sounds like what it looks like. Uh, when you press the shutter, it sounds like a, actually, I actually had it in the room and you were with me. Um, it sounds like a, like a 1950s toy laser gun, like little guns that would shoot <laughs> off sparks. You press the button and it goes, <laughs>
2: Not something you want to creep up with people.
3: No, no, it's it's like it's the it's not a spy camera because people would laugh if
7: you, you, know, you try to take the pictures
3: because uh, it does not sound like a shutter speed. It just sounds like a little toy ray gun going off. You know, I was very happy with, I took, you know, the first couple of shots, it was, uh, you know, you could tell that that camera hadn't been used probably in 50 years. And the the shutter was a little sluggish at first. So the first uh, three or four shots were rather blurry. Uh, But once I exercised it a bit and got, you know, into the role, um, I was, I got some great shots after that little camera.
5: What you're saying is you're not going to be sneaking into anyone's office and taking pictures of their documents
6: I'm yeah. rad. Why are you in the gulag? My camera was too loud. <laughs> no,
3: I've, I've got, I've got, I've got my, 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 uh, Minox B for that. Uh, yeah. but, but it's still, it's a, it's a really cool camera. I'm glad I found it. You know, they're, they're, uh, they're affordable compared to the Minoxes. Um, if you look at them, you know, in the eBay marketplace, they're pretty cheap. Uh, but they're extremely well-built cameras, you know, it's a Yashica. It's got a great lens.
2: I, I must admit I've got, um, uh, regrets there because when I when I looked at Paul's store and ordered something, I almost added that to the order, and it yeah. almost made its way to Australia. And then, <laughs> and then when you um, explained what it was, it's a bit of regret there. Going, ah,
6: I could have I'm had gonna that.
3: Go, I'm going to go <laughs> grab it real quick so that y'all can hear the sound. So hold on, I'll
6: be right back. Speaking of uh, of sounds, I'm asking Jessica. I feel like the guy at a party who's uh, asked a doctor about his sore back, but. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> My AE-1 makes that uh, sh- that shutter squeal that all AE-1s make. Do I need yes. to get that fixed or can I just live with it?
10: <laughs> well, it will definitely have a slower shutter speed than what you're being told by the machine because everything is running a bit slower and gunkier. Um, there is ways of aiding it, by like removing a couple of screws, but it's solely temporary. You need to actually take the complete camera apart to be able to get Uh, rid of that squeaky noise for good Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and that you need to take the mirror assembly out it's not a hard it's not a hard repair Uh, I think that is the Canon A1 and the A1 program are one of the easier ones to um, take apart and there's quite a lot of information out there yeah I mean there there is ways that you can go through the through the bottom plate or through some screws uh, underneath the uh, lens mount um, with a needle that is bent to a certain degree, to to put a little bit of um, lubricant in there that will make it um, work a little bit better. But that will only like remedy to sell it. It will be like a like a very short, like a really short. So you you definitely need to take the mirror assembly out if you want to actually you know if it's a camera that you love.
6: I'm the guy who's been driving around for eighty thousand miles with the check engine light on. So I will take yeah. care of that. <laughs> So, so Robert,
3: have you shot one of these Adirons before?
11: No, oh, that wow, one asleep. I don't have.
3: So when you press the shutter, it sounds like this.
10: Can you hear
11: the
10: wha- Is it a
3: 110?
7: No, it's a, no. a 16. It's 16. Yeah.
11: sixteen. Let's see if
3: I can get it again. Yeah. <laughs> and then, to, and then uh, unlike the, the Minox where you like slide the case back and forth. It has a little metal tab
0: on the back with the ratcheted. You pull, yeah. You pull it out like that. It kind of <laughs> sounds like you're stepping on a cat's tail or something.
10: this it supposed to squeak like that? Is that like the sound that it's supposed to make? Or that is it, the sound? it's, it's, it's it, was, it was very
3: <laughs> space age, you know? It yeah, very... <laughs>
10: it's like yeah. a wind. Yeah, like a winder. Like
6: yeah,
3: that may be the only a one in C- the world.
6: C- so who would know?
10: <laughs> but yeah,
3: that's that's it's 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 literally the size of like a Zippo lighter good look they also made them in black
11: i think they're very good looking cameras yeah it's very solid too i mean it's at least as heavy as like a, a c yeah well you know like you know the the max of course is about the quietest one but there's others out there that are quite you know some of the um some of the minoltas are quiet yeah the conons are quiet sort of um others they sound tinny when they go off you know but the Conan right. is so heavy it doesn't sound tinny when it goes off
3: i guess this would be a bad time for me to order that kiev uh, 303 that i've wanted from uh from ukraine <laughs>
0: Robert, do you have your mini cord handy?
11: Uh, yeah. Hold on, I'll get it.
0: That the mini cord—I don't even know if if, you could, if that's technically considered a sub mini. But that is a really cool camera. Let's see if he can actually get one out here to show us all. Hold on. You think like Autocord? You know, you think it's like a Minolta? It has nothing to do with Minolta at all. I think it's actually made by a German company. He'll he'll be able to tell us. It's made by Goers mini cord. It's a 16 millimeter TLR.
11: I grabbed two other interesting items just to fill the time up a little bit. Here's the mini cord.
10: What did you say? It was called mini cord. I'll have a look in the book. I'll have a look in the Bible.
0: Can you hold mini it closer cord. to the camera, Robert?
11: Okay, they're made in Austria by Gors. It's got, you know, it's, it's got a focusing lens. It's got adjustable shutter speeds.
0: You fire it like this. Okay, trying to describe this for the people at home that can't see it, the mini cord, it's about the size of an Altoids tin. It's got two lenses up front, the taking lens is bigger with a focusing ring around it, the viewing lens is a little bit smaller, like you would expect a TLR, but the viewfinder sticks up through the top plate of the camera at maybe like a 30 degree angle, so that you would hold it With your eye to the angle viewfinder looking down into the viewfinder and the taking lens like a normal TLR would take the lens or take the picture, I mean. But the shutter release is below the taking lens. It looks like um, a button that you would use your right index finger to squeeze with maybe a threaded shutter release cable socket on the side.
11: This, This cocks it here and you fire it here.
0: Yeah, so it's very I quick. To, I got to handle that once, and it's 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 about the size of like a um, like Altoids tin, kind of. Yeah, but it's, it's very a, it's heavy. A TLR. It's very heavy. Yeah.
11: It's solid. Very solid. Yeah. Yeah. Even got a thing down here that you can hold like a trigger if you want to just hold it more steady, you know. But it's very very well designed, and it's a TLR. You look down at forty five degrees. Wow, that's
10: nice. beautiful. So this is the, at, the, this the two lenses.
11: Forty five. Look down like that. And you got a pretty good image. It's right side up and everything,
1: the lens does focus. They made them in different colors too.
11: Yeah, oh, yeah, you, you, the skin can get like three or four different colors.
1: I had uh, the brown one and the green one. Yeah, uh, this just, is the only one I've ever been able to uh, find. Yeah. I
11: haven't been able to find a colored one, but if you want a camera, you, you want this is the two to force when it comes to, to, to sub minis. The Gammy, nothing uh-huh. beats the Gammy. <laughs> it's the, it's what's
3: it's the Gammy? I've not seen this.
11: Oh, that's, that's Italian. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's Italian. It's um, it's actually motorized, but you have to have film in it. But if you go in there and you play with something here, you can get it to work. But it's uh, it takes three three shots in a row.
0: How do you spell that, Robert?
11: Gammy, G A M I, Gammy. It was made
1: by Galileo, Robert. What film does that take? Is that that isn't Menox film, is it? Uh, no, it's bigger.
11: It's a bigger picture.
1: I just found there is another sixteen millimeter. There is another Menox camera, or another sub-miniature takes Menox. It's the Acmel. okay. Made, made by Asanuma in Japan, and uh, I actually have one in uh, in my eBay store right now that I forgot about. But uh, it 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 does take uh, it does take uh, the Minox film.
11: You cock it with this thing, and then once the, when the film's in, I have to push your lever, in. it'll go three frames. Wow. And you just close it up. Wow. Open it back up, you can do three more.
0: What's so cool about the sub-minis is, like, you know, SLRs, rangefinders, once people, once they kind of found the the way to do it, everybody sort of followed the same kind of general ergonomics. But with the sub-minis, it was just like the Wild West. I mean, you did whatever you wanted, any shape, any size, or, you know, aside from the Minox, like, you know, the, the square rectangle little things, there were just so many other just wicked, crazy designs that are just fascinating for collectors.
4: And occasionally... You just collect them because, yeah. Oh, Dwight's got some. It's a minute sixteen. Minute sixteen, yeah.
0: Oh, that's Universal. Yep. Right. Universal
4: with the flash attachment and the handle.
0: <laughs> so Dwight's Dwight's holding a camera that's about the size of, uh, like a matchbox, maybe a little bit larger than a matchbox, but yep. it's got a flash handle, like like maybe a Argus C three might have, but it's easily four times the height of the camera. Imagine a 1960s GoPro. no yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the bulb, the bulb is half the size of the camera itself.
11: Yep. <laughs> Anybody ever that's, see one of these? It's kind of. Oh, wow, that is cute
0: too. That's the
11: Bolsey. Jacques Bolsey designed this. Same guy did Alpha.
0: Oh, that's an eight you millimeter. You single shot,
11: or you can put it on continuous. It's like a movie. Oh, that's superb. <laughs> See, it took, a, it took a, like a movie cartridge. So you can use it for both stills and movies.
0: Yeah, it's 8 millimeter.
11: Yeah, 8 millimeter.
10: So it uses an 8 millimeter movie cartridge? Yeah. That is yeah. so cool. How many photos do you get on one of those if you were doing stills?
11: Oh, I, I, it probably tells me in the instruction book somewhere. I don't know. Quite a few, I'm sure.
10: Yeah. <laughs> it would be Quite good a for few. like
0: holiday or, or traveling.
11: Yeah. He was a pretty ingenious fellow, Jock He He was something else.
0: For anybody who doesn't know who Bolzi is, he, that's the guy who created the Alpa. The Alpa. Yeah.
9: Um, he designed the Sarata. original Alpa. Yeah. yeah.
2: Hey, John's got something.
9: Yeah. As long as we're showing off uh, sub minis, this is a Stecky. Oh, I've got one of
11: those too. Stecky yeah, 3A.
9: Yeah. It shoots 16 Steki. millimeter. I haven't shot with it yet, but it's a, it's a, yeah, it's going backwards. It's it's quite an interesting little camera. Yeah. I've got the. It's got the case for it too. This was.
11: They also come in a little wooden, have you got one in a little wooden box? They came in a little wooden no,
9: box. No, I've just, I haven't got any of the uh, the other lenses for it either. It's got, got interchangeable one. lenses. Yeah. It's, uh, It's. I've only got the, uh, looks like it says 25 millimeters, F 3.5. But yeah, it's got, it's kind of cool. The the lens just screws off.
6: Yeah. Looks like a doll camera.
9: Yeah. It's, it's pretty solidly built. It's got a flash sink on it and everything.
11: The, golden, the, the, the Ryko Golden sticky, which is the same company, the lens comes off, and you can put the 40 millimeter lens on it. Okay. This will also screw onto the one you have. It's the same yeah. mount. Okay.
10: How do you spell that? The Stucky, how do you spell that?
3: Stecky is S T E K Y. Every time I try to go for one of the Golden steckies, the price just spirals up in the last. Yeah, segment. I know.
11: They're very expensive. I've gotten lucky with these.
9: I've got them in the original boxes also, but. I also brought down my. My black Minox, just for funsies.
0: So is where'd Anthony go? Is Anthony having convulsions?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm watching him furiously take notes.
0: <laughs> what the why? We went the first half of this episode without a single camera to show, and then now it's been like rapid fire. Yeah. <laughs> of really obscure cameras.
5: <laughs> yeah. Well, the one that that's my smallest one is is a Kodak trim Light 48 110 camera. Yeah, and it's kind of it. Well, it's a little bit nicer than the average. It's got the Ektar lens, and it's also kind of like almost like a rangefinder, a bit. So, yeah, distance on 110s. the yep. yeah. So, that's what I've got my roll of 110 in
0: right now. You so know, they did make some pretty decent 110 cameras. Um, I did a review of the Canon 110 ED. Which was a nice little. It's it's that like candy bar shaped one, like the 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 slim one yeah. you were talking about. But yeah. it has an F. It has an F two. I think a five element lens F two. So it's pretty fast. It's got a rangefinder. It's got auto exposure. They make a version with and without a date back. Um, another thing that's nice about it is the Canon uses just a normal six volt four LR forty four battery. Some of the Kodak one ten cameras use a proprietary the K that's battery. That's what
5: this one has. But you can get an adapter that somebody makes that um, is 3G and just put LR44s yeah. in it.
0: For, if anybody hasn't seen a K battery, they literally took three button cell batteries and put them di- diagonal. So it's, you look yeah. at this battery right. chamber and it's like a parallelogram. I don't know yeah. why they did that, but apparently Kodak decided that'd be a good thing to do.
5: Does it remind you of 620 film?
0: That's uh, true. Yeah, true
5: that
3: if you can make it proprietary, you better make it proprietary.
0: Kodak made um, a camera. It was one of their higher end um, I, uh, point and shoots. They had a K10, K12, and K14. And they nicknamed the K14 the metalist. I did a review of it on my site. But one thing that was weird about that camera is it had a replaceable proprietary lithium battery. That they said was good for five years. Like most camera companies that's in the '80s that switched to lithium batteries, they were not meant to be changed. But what's cool about this camera is you could either use the original lithium battery that it was made for, or you could just take it out and put a nine volt battery in its place. I've got it,
5: one of those too. Do, yeah, and I threw a nine volt in there; it worked fine.
0: It works fine. It's I think it's the only point and shoot that I could think of that used a, like a nine volt, you know, smoke smoke detector battery.
6: Surely nobody bought the the proprietary battery the second time. Surely no, no one, no. Did. right?
0: <laughs> you know what's what's funny is I have two of them, and the second one I got, I don't know how old it was, but I mean, the thing was being in the eighties. It still worked; it still had power. So yeah. I mean, I got this thing a couple years ago. Uh, Robert, I bought it from Gary Camera, and he yeah. had it just sitting in his junk bin. I, I pulled the thing out, turned it on, and it worked fine. I was like, "Geez, this original battery from the eighties still had juice in it, and it had leaked all over the place."
6: My disc camera still makes noise. And I push the button. <laughs> yeah. ah, That's mine, actually. I think those things don't die. Yeah,
3: you know, I feel like I, I may never get another chance to talk about one ten on this show again. So <laughs> I'm, I'm going to give a shout out to my my Vitorette Vidorret one ten, which is the only Vitorette that I have ever liked. They're usually the, the 1960s thirty. Oh, look, Theo's got one. That got is one right next to me. <laughs> that that is the one ten to, to get. I do you have the flash for it? Yes, I do. It works really well with the flash, and you get shockingly good 110 photos out of
2: that. It's um, one of the next ones to shoot, actually. So I you know. I picked, some, I picked up some.
3: I picked up some 110 film from Paul uh, just to be able to shoot that that camera again because uh, uh, for the 110 experience, if you want one that's going to like give you a quality, you know, image, it's it's one of the better late Voigtlanders that I've used.
5: Yeah, I've got. Um metropolis in mine right now. So that should be interesting. Yeah. I think guys, I, I
6: like that film. You guys are making my little camera feel huge. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do have another
2: one ten we can we can discuss them. You can't really talk about one with the Minolta um the pa- uh, pancake camera. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's a weird design.
5: Where's your Pentax? Well, I've, got got the the Pentax,
2: Pentax. I've got the Pentax
4: one ten. I've got the Pentax one ten. I've got a photo of it. It's quite small, but it's actually, uh, it's a square frame, uh, 35 millimeter. That
5: one's interesting. It takes special
4: cartridges and it's got its own little film loader.
1: Is that the Bolta?
4: No, well, it's, it's a, yeah, Bolta it's a of Bolta. It? Yeah. Of it. and they started out with Bolta film, but this one uh, is 35 millimeter standard sprockets.
1: Were, were those designed by, uh, who designed the, ret- who who made the retinas in Maybe? Germany? Yeah. Nagel? Yeah, it was Nagel. 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 Yeah, I I'm think, not sure about that. I think I, those were Nagels. Yeah. yeah.
4: But it's a cute little camera because it comes with its own little, you uh-huh. put a regular 35 millimeter cassette in here, and you roll your own into a smaller cassette.
7: Well,
0: that's handy. You know, the one flaw with um, both the 110 and 126 cameras wasn't just the small size, but the cassettes didn't have a pressure plate.
7: Right,
11: there's no pressure plate, yeah.
0: So, the, you know, if the film laid, coincidentally happened to lay flat, Across the film plane, it would be okay, but you know, film as you wind it, as soon as you take your thumb off the wheel, it tends to kind of back off just a slight amount. And you know, without a pressure plate, the film could kind of be not perfectly lined up in the exact focal plane of the lens. And no matter how good of a lens you could put on those cameras, sometimes the images would still come out soft. It's not 110, but I have um, Roloflex SL26, this is uh, Roloflex's. 126 slr so it had a set of interchangeable lenses uh test i have the Pro are wide angle and telephoto plus the standard 2.8 um you know great lenses you know the camera is built very very well it's fully mechanical it's actually one of the few 126 cameras that's 100 mechanical uh with or without a battery you have full control over shutter speeds and aperture most of the Instamatic cameras would give you, at most, only one of the two. You know, if some would give you even nothing. But, like, what I like about this is I have a bunch of expired Kodachrome, I'm sorry, Kodacolor 2-126, but it needs extra exposure. And the way Instamatic worked is it would usually just, shoot at whatever exposure the cassette was designed for. They would rarely give you the ability to overexpose on an Instamatic camera, but this one does allow you to just pick whatever you want. I mean, I could open the shutter and fire it at one second if I want to. Uh, but no matter how good it is, how good the shutter, how good the lens is, with the film plane not being flat no pressure plate inside the cassette you could still end up without a focus images. and that's you know that's why these i mean the cameras are probably fine for the family snapshooter but you know sometimes these crazy companies like you know the, the Minolta 110 SLR the Pentax SLRs uh the Canon 110 I mentioned earlier that they would get thwarted by them by the film format itself rather than the lens
6: with at a small aperture do you get depth of field in the film into the uh lens too could would they? Could you stop down and be sharp enough for to to hit the film plane wherever it happens to be?
0: Probably could. I mean, I don't know the math behind it, but depth of field at the film plane is like the, the thickness of a hair, you know. So e- even if you stopped it down to like f sixteen, it would probably help a little, but it wouldn't help as much as you probably would think. But the problem is you don't know. I mean, it's very possibly like it, it varied from cassette to cassette. Some cassettes were wound tighter than others. You know, fra, um, fra. I know, maybe Fuji did a better job with their cassettes than Kodak did or or I don't even know everybody who made. Now, if we're talking about Advantix film, I could tell you guys all you want to know about that because that's all I've been thinking about the past month.
6: You know, some <laughs> photographers are well tighter than others, too. That's true. That's I true. have
5: to I have to tell you a couple of weeks ago, I stopped in at the thrift store and and the lady working there goes, I saved something for you in my office. And she come out with this big bag of film, but it was Advantix.
0: Ooh, kind Kodak four hundred. Ooh, you gonna use
5: it? I am. I don't know how it was stored.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I have one roll, and I'm saving. I don't know which camera I'm gonna use it in, but I have one roll of the Kodak black and white Advantix. It's still C41. It's basically like. Their 400CN, whatever that film was called, but it's it's still it's black and white. So it, they, they really didn't make many options in black and white with Advantix, but I have one roll of that. So I don't know which which camera I'm going to use it in, but I, I do want to shoot that one. I'm waiting to get that real.
5: Probably like the old mentality. Every time I shoot black and white, my parents look at it and go, too bad it's in black and white.
3: <laughs> 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 I have a request for, for one last quick topic to touch upon. And that it seems like we're coming out of the the COVID doldrums and it's finally going to be season for uh, camera swap meets and, and used camera shows. Uh, I know that there's one coming up in Cincinnati that Paul's going to be at. Uh, there's one coming up in Chicago that, uh, that Vlad's going to have a table with Johnny. And even down here in Florida, down in uh, Orlando at Kiwi camera service, they're going to have a swap meet uh, on the on the third or the sixth. It's whatever the Sunday is coming up. So I'm just wondering if you, uh, for people that have never been to a swap meet, what to expect, what's what's etiquette, what's uh, what to be looking out for. Do you have any any tips for new photographers? because it's been probably two years since a lot of places have had uh, these events taking place, and so there are a lot of new photographers who've never been to one. Uh, what do you expect when you show up to one of these shows?
1: That's an that's an interesting question. I have never really. I mean, I've been to so many camera shows as both a seller and a buyer. Um, Don't be afraid to ask, to to hold it, shoot with it. Uh, Don't ask if it's had film run through it because it very most likely has never, the guy who's selling it to you has probably never had film in it. It's amazing. I have 643 items in my eBay store right now. And the most common question I get is, have you put film through it? And, And all you can say is, No, I've done everything else, but put film through it because I simply can't put film through every (laughs) camera that comes through my hands. Camera shows, the sellers at camera shows expect to be uh, treated treated with some some amount of courtesy, but they also don't mind if you ask if it's the best price. Uh, So don't be afraid to to make an offer on something you see you like. Uh, If you're a seller, if you bring in a camera, you want to sell it, you're going to find you probably have four or five different guys want to buy it from you. Don't be afraid to walk around and, and get the best price you can. Don't sell it to the first person that you talk to.
0: Isn't it true that if you bring cameras to sell to shows, you end up selling it to other people selling cameras at the same shows?
1: Oh, yeah. Well, we, it's a joke among camera show people. Uh, we always just say, why, do we, why are we doing this? Why don't we just meet in a parking lot at Wendy's and, uh, and <laughs> yeah. trade? Because what we wind up doing is trading stuff back and forth. I might have a a Leica M3 today, and and I'll trade it to my buddy Igor, and then six months later, I'll get it back from him. So it's uh, it's very incestuous.
0: Does it help when you're negotiating with somebody if it's someone you've seen before, like repeat people who come? Oh yeah,
1: yeah. I mean i i I see I see people that, that I see a lot of my old customers at these shows, and also people that have bought from me at other shows, and it's a lot of fun. I mean, it's really a community. It's really, it's really a very cool environment. Actually, it's it's uh, actually a lot of fun.
9: I sold at the Chicago show two or three times, and uh, by far, most of my sales were to other dealers, um, not to the general public. But yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was just the experience and meeting the people and and that. If you're if you're new, you know, you're you're in heaven as far as finding somebody to talk cameras with. You know, you're, everybody there wants to talk about everything that they've got, so.
4: It's been quite a while since uh, I've had a table at a show, but uh, always look in the boxes underneath the table. Um, uh. A lot of dealers have things that they specialize in. They like Nikons, they like Leicas. Um, but if you're looking for something that's, that's a little off the wall or something you haven't seen before, There's always cardboard boxes under the table and don't expect those cameras to work. But if they do, that's great. And they usually, if it was me, I'm trying to get rid of that because I don't want to take that box home. And so prices are usually pretty good on those two.
6: Keep your grubby fingers up the self-timer lever, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, (laughs) we don't test self-timers.
0: Have you ever had a bad experience, Paul, with with someone trying to buy from you or any who broke a camera right in front of you?
1: Just old, just other dealers. I mean, I've never had a rude customer. I've had other dealers that that uh, you know there are some some dealers are are nicer people. I mean, it's just like a cross section of the of humanity.
10: Yeah,
1: there are a few dealers that are obnoxious, uh, but I've never had a problem with a customer. I mean, a, a buyer or a seller. Usually, they're have it's a happy occasion. It's not uh, it's not like you're going in to buy a car where you're not in a, in a yeah, uh, a, a relationship where you're you're you you know you're going to have to argue with somebody. It's it should be a happy time, and it usually is.
2: How does it compare selling at, at camera shows to the markets? Because there's obviously people that sell at markets as well. Um, I actually went on Sunday. Sorry, Jess, but you went there, so I bought from your competitor. So, <laughs> but um, how does that compare in terms of the experience of selling in a market compared to a fair?
1: Well, I'd like to, you know, it's one, one of the fun things I've got is I'm, I'm putting together things to take right now, shows in about three weeks, and uh, I'll have like two boxes of plastic cameras from the fifties, bakelite and plastic cameras from Chicago and New York. And then I'll put them in a big tub and I'll mark them $10 each. And uh, people just love to, to root through the boxes and see what they got for, you know, buy a $10 camera with the you, it takes 127 film. Uh or I'll 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 put a tub of uh Voigtlander folding plate cameras out for $50 a piece. So people can can come and root through and see what they find their own stuff. It's like a like a, a grab bag type situation. And then down at the other end where somebody is standing, I'll put the Leicas and the Nikons and and uh flexes and more valuable things.
3: My word of advice is if you see a bulk loader, um just carefully check to see if there's film in it. The last swap meet that I went to, (laughs) I found 200 foot bulk loaders. The guy wanted $5 a piece for them. And one had a hundred feet of Velvia 50 and the other one had about 80 feet of Provia 400.
1: Oh, wow. That was a great, great buy.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I'm still, I've, I've shot through all the Provia, but I'm still shooting through the, through the Velvia um, two years later. Uh, but yeah, so always, always check those because I mean, people are dumping their bulk loaders. I mean, they're always like five dollars a piece, and a lot of the time there's going to be film left in them. So just carefully, uh, you know, make sure that the gate's closed and open the end and see what see what's in there.
5: I bought uh, a paper safe at a used place, and they had it the lid propped open. There was probably forty sheets of paper inside, and now it's junk. Oh, it sucks. Yeah, I know.
2: But they we were able to prove there was paper in there.
0: That's You could do that by rattling it. Come on. <laughs> I looked up the shows. The Chicago Camera Show is this upcoming Sunday, February 27th. Uh, Elk Grove, Village, Illinois. There's one in Cleveland coming up. It's in Richfield, Ohio. Uh, the one Paul was mentioning in Cincinnati, that's Saturday, March 12th. That's in, in Westchester, Ohio at the Hilton Garden Inn. Mm-hmm. And Anthony, you said there's one in florida coming up
3: there's one coming up at kiwi camera service in orlando on uh, sunday the sunday before paul's so a so, is that the sixth or the third whatever that sunday hey, is
2: hang yeah. on a second kiwi camera in orlando
3: yeah yeah it's florida what can i say <laughs>
2: okay um yeah actually there's there's one down this part of the world too um the, the sydney camera market is on in march i think but i think they've got some problems with the the actual location
0: but if you're interested in a show i would imagine you know most local facebook groups will have uh some kind of announcement i don't know all the shows all over the country and all over the world but you know in populated areas they do exist you just kind of kind of look for them and like anthony said you know a lot of these weren't having shows for the past year or two so i think that this might actually be a really good time to go because Perhaps some of these sellers have built up a supply of stuff they want to unload that they may have regularly been able to get rid of. Yeah.
10: We do have one here in Sydney, but it's not going to go ahead because of insurance problems. Uh, it's just It happens at a community center and they, they we just can't meet their expectations of insurance uh, when it comes to um, being able to hire, hire the whole. Uh, we're all trying to work real hard at looking for alternative venues at the moment but so we can reopen. Uh, But it is a lot like what you guys said, like, you know, all of us get there earlier in the day and we trade between each other. And then by the time the people, uh, the actual public comes in, there is very little left (laughs) for them to peek through.
1: (laughs) Well, I actually have two of my friends stop at my house on their way to Cincinnati and (laughs) uh, go through the tubs of stuff that I'm going to take. And then they get they get to the show the night before because they drive a long distance. I only drive an hour to get there, so I don't go spend the evening. But uh, the, the, the show starts at, uh, the, the civilians get in at 10 o'clock. The dealers set up around 7.30 or 8. So most of the business that everyone does is between 7.30 and 10 just among ourselves
0: (laughs) so in other words what you're saying is register to be a dealer but don't actually bring anything and just buy from people
10: (gasps) oh i think you have to bring something you have to bring at least something is that that the tip yeah Yeah, that was
9: that was actually (laughs) one of the problems i had at the at the chicago show when i went is uh when i was bringing in tubs from the car or the van or whatever we had the uh we just got swamped by other dealers coming in and pulling our tubs and opening them up and going through them. And it's like, guys, let us at least you know bring them in and set them on the table first. That is
1: so uncool. And, it, and, yeah. it, and I, was, I was telling Mike and uh, Theo and Anthony earlier, there's one guy in particular who does that to me. He did it to me every time. And finally, I just said, "Get your hands out of my tubs."
9: Yeah, that's what I had to do. Yeah, that's what that's I had
6: just,
1: to do. The, the, the only thing that you can do is just be rude about it, and because and, uh, it's it's just so
6: uncool. Yeah, there should be a contest to uh, see which camera changes hands the most off uh, most often during the weekend.
0: Well, uh, it's that time of night where we have to start winding down. Uh, we still have. 13 people on here, so I'm not going to go entirely around the room, Uh, but does anybody have any recent acquisitions they want to share or any last-minute questions that they thought of they want to ask?
7: I recently bought out uh, Guy's entire camera, uh, film camera stock in California. It was nine boxes of camera equipment, all of it Canon, which I know isn't necessarily popular here. Uh, So there was a Mint um, F1 a new F1 from uh, the Olympics, T90, uh, three of um, Mike's favorite Canon point-and-shoot, the 35FF AFML. The 1-9? Yeah. Yeah. Which which I was
0: thrilled about. Now I'm going to sell them all after your review. <laughs> Try shooting one. I'm, I'm, I'm curious, though, because I've had three of them, and all of them had problems with autofocus. So, I mean, maybe I'm just really unlucky. <laughs> so if you do shoot one, let me know if how, how your accuracy for focus is on it.
7: And, and I'm nervous because I read your stuff on the T90, and I got a T90, which works perfectly. It won't for long. You might jinx it. Yeah. But there were re- he sent me replacement parts, too. Okay. And um, then within just one, one last thing. There were 42 rolls of frozen film. Most of it was uh, Provia, but there were three rolls of the Kodak infrared color film and two rolls of uh, Kodachrome 64. And I found a lab that will do the Kodachrome, though they make it black and white and then they add color later, right? Um, But it's like a film film rescue lab or something like that. So I was thrilled by my acquisitions and now I can't buy cameras for another
0: ten years.
6: Oh, I have a T eighty that I'm using for Sherry's Fugal Film Project.
0: The T eighty is a fantastic camera. I really like that one. That's was uh Canon's kind of first pseudo attempt at autofocus. Not not truly, but it had
10: the autofocus uh, was on the lens, right? Yeah, on the the lens, lenses right. were yeah,
0: I have I, one. I picked what up that it? lens
6: uh, day before yesterday.
0: But what's cool about the T80, there's two things that are really neat about it. One, it has the split image focus assist, like most SLRs do, but it's shaped like a plus sign. So It drives me can... crazy. Really? You don't like <laughs> yeah. it?
6: No, I can't find no. a line. <laughs>
0: Because yeah. it works uh, landscape and, and horizontal too, so you could do it at any angle. But the other cool thing is, is even though it controls the uh, focus using a motor that's on the lenses that were made for it, if you mount a manual focus, any FD, FL mount Canon to it, uh, it won't focus for you, but you'll get the focus confirmation light in the viewfinder. So, you know, a lot of like DSLRs had that feature too, where you'll get like a little light to let you know when you've hit proper focus. So you still can use focus assist on the T80 with manual focus Canon lenses, which I think is kind of, kind of cool.
3: So Chris, I have to ask, um, in my search for the, uh, uh, every variation of half frame, are there any sure shot multi-tellies in in those nine boxes?
7: No, no, it was all all equipment that either worked on the F1 or the t 90 Every focusing screen for both cameras. Every electrical attachment for shooting multiple flashes. I'm still cataloging. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of in a tough shape camera-wise. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm still cataloging everything at the moment.
0: My my last bit of gas, um, and Paul's going to help me out on this one. Is I got I got a Vera, uh, a, a Vera Matic, which is um, one of the later. Uh, Vera wear or whatever, but it's got the interchangeable lens mount. Uh, mm. it's got a rangefinder, so it's. I did a review of one that Anthony sent me quite a while ago, but yours was the Vero one,
3: right? Mine is the early, early version.
0: This this one has interchangeable lenses. The leaf shutter goes up to one seven hundred fiftieth. It's got the nice curved top plate. It's got projected like frame part. lines for multiple um focal length lenses. The cam this camera actually works really really nice. The viewfinder is good. The only issue is is the um. The Zeiss Tessar is badly uh, hazed up. Uh, we were talking in, a, in the episode with Jess about how Paul finds that it seems in the United States more lenses end up with haze than fungus. And, and I've had that experience too. I seem to have really bad luck with Zeiss lenses, um, especially Tessars that just seem to be badly hazed up. And I don't know why it's always Tessars, but I'm hoping it's It must to find be the coating. It has to build the, the coating and what the coating is attracting. Yeah. Because it's clearly not any of the external surfaces. And I don't like taking apart these lenses to try and figure out myself because the few times I have, not only do I usually not get it back together correctly, usually once I find the haze, it's like etched into the glass and it doesn't wipe off.
4: went uh, looking for my first camera that I had back in the early 70s and actually found one. It's a 126 camera that is basically just the film cartridge.
0: Oh, yeah. They made those for 110 too. Yeah, yep, got with one an of those attachment
4: lunch, and a winder. And it actually still has the original Snapshooter Film Club and all the uh, original boxes. You send it in and you get a free uh, roll of film back and you just no, join that's the cool. club. <laughs> that's cool.
10: <laughs> that is really cool, yeah.
4: And I remember using it, but I don't know if um, any of the pictures still remain from when I was a kid. But it was just a little trip down memory lane.
0: You could probably use the Facmatic—that little 126 3D printed adapter. I've had I've had really good luck with that thing in a lot of Inst- uh, Instamatic cameras. Way more than they say would work. The pretty much yeah. the only cameras that don't like those adapters are the ones with the motor wind or the Kodak Instamatics that had the rip cord. Those usually don't work either.
4: This one actually would probably work fine because the uh, shutter is connected to the wind knob, and it actually yeah. says right on the back to disregard the numbers, so oh, really? it's not using. It's
0: not using the, um, the keyhole, that little finger. The perforation, yeah. Yeah, it's not using perforation. Yeah. I bet you that would work perfectly. Anybody else?
10: I have a superb 120 millimeter coming, coming my way. It's a TLR that has the horizontal travel
0: plane. Anthony
3: so I've been I just thought it was so beautiful.
10: Yeah, I just thought it was so beautiful. Like, I, I went to test it to the person's house, and um, I didn't know how to price it, like, because I hadn't seen it before, and I thought it was so beautiful. I was like, if, if any of the stuff they had in their collection, if anything, I wanted that, and they, they agreed to it. So, it's, it's on its way to me. I'll have it, hopefully.
0: Do you know if it's the Scope or the Heliar?
10: Oh, I will have to have a look at the photos. I actually don't know. I, I didn't know anything about the camera until I, yeah. you know, I had it in my hands, like, last week. And the other thing...
0: Most of them have the scope bar, but if, God forbid, that has the Heliar, you got yourself a gem there. Oh,
10: excellent. Well, fingers crossed. That's what, that's what it has attached to it. Uh, and the second thing that I scored this week is I actually managed to find a retired film camera technician that had his entire, entire business for sale three years ago. Uh, I I found him and he still has all the equipment, all the manuals, all the uh, notes. Um, also, as well like boxes full of cameras and parts, um, and uh, it's all coming to me on the weekend. That's uh, I'm I'm gonna go and pick it up at um, Central Australia. I'm gonna I'm gonna fly there and then uh, rent a van and bring the whole um, shop back to me. Wonderful! That's terrific. That's yeah, I, I'm 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 really excited about starting to read through his notes. Um, he has very very detailed notes, um, and I'm hoping to share them all, all in the Facebook group as well for other people cool. to be able to to do some things that like uh, none of us. We're all trying to guess it. So
3: just the last superb that I was stalking online that I really thought I had a shot at. In the last three seconds, it went from 400 to 900 dollars us
10: oh wow that's a lot of money i did not pay that much at all for my one <laughs> yeah. I, I i can tell you that not even like i think i i, I paid about t- a tenth of that i didn't know they were uh, worth that much yeah i just found I, I i fell in love with the with the way it looked yeah, and nice. how, had like the little uh like uh, level level on the yeah. top it has a tiny little round level on the top to level the picture up i just thought all the little details within the camera are yeah. really really beautiful well maybe maybe once i have done shooting with it because i do that a lot i fall in love with the camera i play with it i shoot with it and then i move to the next one maybe i can send it over to you oh
3: i would i would die
0: (laughs) all right everybody once again uh it's Fantastic to talk to so many different people. We had a lot of participation on the show. Um, I always appreciate you guys jumping in and helping guide us through all the different topics, from sub minis to the Cindy's Community Dark Room uh, One Hundred and Ten. You know, uh, we we didn't talk about panoramics this time, but I'm sure we'll we'll get it next time. Thank you guys so much. You guys all have a great rest of your week. Bye now. Thank you. See see you,
10: everybody. It
0: was really nice. Take care. Bye. Thanks a lot. Bye. Thanks, everybody. Bye. (laughs) laughter (laughs)